1: Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high-quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high-carb, low-calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you retain, metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount For all of you listeners, so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address. And you'll receive an email to double opt-in to the list. And you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order. And you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com Sign up with your name and email and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order, beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 44 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And I sort of know the answer to this, Jen, but how are you today, Jen?
2: Well, I feel great, but my voice is scratchy, so everybody just bear with me. I'm a little scratchy. We have had, like, sickness going through our school like crazy. We had 19 staff members out one day, and there's, like, no subs to go around because everybody in the whole county is sick, so (sighs) just a little scratchy throat, but I feel fabulous, so anyway. (laughs) If I sound weird, that's why. And we just learned that honey is a quick fix for... For, yep. I had a spoonful of honey and it helped a lot,
0: so. You could just chow down on honey the whole time that we record.
2: (laughs) There you go. we would be on a sugar high at the end. (laughs) Yeah, so if I start to get, you know, like rambly at the end, y'all know why.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wish Manuka honey was more affordable because I see a huge difference using Manuka honey versus other honeys, like huge but it's so expensive.
2: I think I had it. I've had that one before, but now I just always use a local honey, a local raw honey.
0: Yeah, I like those, but they—they they, um, I think they flare my candida, and they uh, um, I don't know. The manuka is just amazing, but
2: it costs so much. Doesn't it have a little bit of a different kind of flavor too?
0: Yeah, it's and it's yeah. a different active component that makes it right. Um, so most honeys are it's because of the they generate hydrogen hydrogen peroxide basically so they are very antibacterial manuka honey has something called non hydrogen peroxide activity it's, it has another compound that's only in manuka honey and it is crazy in how antibacterial it is yeah they did a study and it knocked out every single pathogen and virus and bacteria that they tried every single one
2: wow yeah it's been a while since i I read anything about it but i remember reading about it and that's why i ended up with it at one point but i think it had a really strong taste
0: yeah it it does i I like the taste but i think i probably have spent like a thousand dollars in manuka honey
2: so i should oh gosh (laughs) stop it's that expensive (laughs) wow hi all right well how are you how are you doing
0: i'm good Still in my apartment in Venice. I'm excited to move again in April, I think. So I think it'll just be so nice to be settled somewhere. Oh, yeah. just It makes a big difference. I think it's going to make a huge difference just for stress levels and just everything.
2: Well, it'll be here before you know it. Yeah, time flies. <laughs> I know. So I've just been working on my storage unit,
0: which is crazy. Ah. Uh, we accumulate a lot
2: of stuff, don't we?
0: Yes. Random little quote. I was listening to a another Rhonda Patrick podcast, where the one where she interviews Dr. Uh, Walter Longo. That was a really good episode, so I definitely recommend that for listeners. He made a very interesting comment about fasting. They were talking about whether or not fasting was stressful – and he said that in his opinion, fasting is actually less stressful and eating is more stressful because eating makes you puts you in a weaker position while fasting actually makes you stronger, which I thought was interesting. All right. So shall we jump in to everything for today? Yes. Let's get started. We're thrilled to bring you Health IQ as the very first sponsor of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance agency, rather than a broker, which uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, like our intermittent fasting listeners. They can give our listeners exclusive rates, but you have to qualify by taking their online lifestyle quizzes based on everything from the metabolism to the paleo diet to, and I'm not making this up, people who like wearable weights like me. They personally guide you all throughout the life insurance process to make it easy and even fun. To see if you qualify, you can get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash fasting. Or you can mention the promo code fasting when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Totally check them out. We think you'll love them.
2: Our first email came from Ann and her subject is the weird problems episode part one. So I love that she's already listened to the the first Weird Problems episode, and Ann said, Hi, Melanie. Thank you so much for your podcast. Love it. I learned something helpful in each episode. I just listened to your Weird Problems episode and thought you might be interested in this. I am a registered dietitian and did a paper on maple syrup urine disease while I was in school. It is a rare metabolic disease caused by the lack of enzymes that are necessary to break down branched-chain amino acids these substances build up in the blood, spill into the urine, and cause the weird sweet odor that gives it its name. So there you go. Keep up the good work, Ann.
0: Hi, Ann. I love that. I love that Um, we now know. So so you were right. You were spot on with your maple. I thought
2: so. Yeah, I remember reading that because it, like, stuck with me. <laughs> it was a weird problem in the book, too. <laughs> the guy that had it. That's how they identified the killer. By his weird maple syrup smell. so funny. I think they also had like maple syrup sweat. Oh, wow. Too, yeah. So that's what I remember. Well,
0: if they they (laughs) built up in the blood, maybe it – oh, yeah, because she says caused the weird sweet odor. So Right, right. So funny. (laughs) Crazy. Well, thanks for that, Anne. And then um, we have one more little feedback type email. This comes from Lorette and the subject is stand-up desk, and she said, Hi, ladies, really quick question for you. You mentioned using a specific changing table on top of a desk to stand up and work, I think. I remember hearing it in an episode, but I can't seem to find it now, and I looked in Stuff We Like and didn't see it there either. Would you mind refreshing my memory on what it was that you mentioned? Really love your podcast. Thank you, Lorette. And I included this because... I think it's just such a great hack for standing desks because standing desks are so expensive. But what I use is yes, it's it's a um, it's a diaper changing table from IKEA, and it's just perfect for as a standing desk. And it's like seventy dollars or I don't know, it, it was seventy when I bought it. I think it's more now. Um, but I I will put a I, I will put a link on stuff we like to it because it's a great hack. Or standing desks, because why spend
2: more when you can spend less? Yeah, that's a good height because that's where you'd be changing your baby, right? This is true. (laughs) Alrighty,
0: time for the questions.
2: Yes, we have one from Erin, and the subject is flavored electronic vaporizers. Now, she also has another question we're saving for next week, but we're going to start with this one. So Erin says, I am a new listener to your podcast and new to the fasting process. I just listened to episodes four and five, which now have me wondering if the flavoring in the liquid of an e-cigarette would cause an insulin spike or possibly break my fasting time.
0: Yeah. So I did a little bit of research on the ingredients in e-cigarettes and they typically include water propylene glycol, which is not the best, um, vegetable glycerin, flavoring, and nicotine. So the flavors, you can't ever really find what's in them, like anywhere. (laughs) It's all like proprietary. So I don't know about those. Um, and then we talked in a previous podcast about how nicotine actually can affect blood sugar levels. So that could possibly be a thing. Um, According to the official diabetes, like association, uh, they just basically say that there's not any strong clinical evidence on, or sorry, there's not any strong clinical studies on the effect of e-cigarettes on blood sugar levels, um, for people with diabetes. So, the the debate is out there.
2: Yeah, of course we worry not about what it does to the blood sugar, but what it does with the insulin. So. Um, that's what I would worry about. You know, when they're calling them flavors, your brain is not smart enough to say, "Hey, this is an e-cigarette." She's not eating cotton candy. You know, I think that's like a flavor that they have. You know, cotton candy. I
0: I looked up the link, and there was like fifty flavors, and they looked really yummy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, we've talked about this um, off and on in the Facebook support groups, and. It's just one of those things. I mean, they call them flavors. So if we're trying to avoid flavor and and would use the word yummy, that's, you know, if that sounds delicious, then I think that that would answer your question. So I would recommend to avoid them. Um, I have actually had members say that they noticed a difference. You can get like an unflavored variety or something, ones that are not sweet. I don't, I'm not an expert on on that because I'd never used an e-cigarette but i think that you can get something that does not have a sweet flavor or if maybe, you want to maybe
0: if there's like minty flavors
2: yeah if it was only minty with nothing sweet at all that would be that'd be a better choice than i mean you definitely wouldn't think that something you know cotton candy or grape flavored or you know something that is going to mimic a sweet food is going to be more likely to cause a problem right yeah It just makes sense with the the theory. We don't have, you know, data on that. But if you go with the whole sweet taste spiking insulin idea, then this is a sweet taste. So I wish we could say, no, not a problem. (laughs) But it's hard to trick that brain and those responses that occur. All righty. So
0: our next question or questions comes from Paige. And the subject is actually four IF questions. (laughs) And um, we're going to do three of them, and we're going to save one for next week. So Paige says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. Love your podcast. Enough said. Me, I've been clean fasting 8 to 20 hours a day since early November with a few days off for of vacation. I like to say I practice Jen's approach with a splash of Melanie. I love that, by the way. Yeah, I do too. It's <laughs> so great. So her <laughs> first question she says, food sensitivity, not aller- not allergy tests. Which one do you recommend to start with? There are several send us your spit and we'll send back your result tests advertised on the internet. Is one more legit than another? And I will start um, just to clarify. So for this question, the difference between food sensitivities and food allergies. So food allergies are IgE immune responses and they're more immediate and they're more severe, and they're basically the like an allergic response of the immune system. So that is compared to IgG, which is a, it's more like a food sensitivity marker. It's actually debated about whether, about how accurate it is. It's a more of a delayed response of the immune system to certain foods and allergens. And The reason it's debated is because some people and some research say that rather than it being a marker of an allergic response, that it's a marker of just what you are constantly exposed to. So if you're eating like a ton of one food, you might have an IgG response without it actually being an allergy. But then some people say that it it very It is ind- indicative of, like, immune problems. There are a lot of companies out there, Paige. The one I used recently was identallergy.com, and I was really happy with it, so I can recommend it, and I will say that it's often on Groupon, and and there are other companies often on Groupon, so before you go straight to the website and buy it,
2: check Groupon, because you can usually get a pretty good deal on those. That's a great tip. I have no recommendation. I told Melanie a minute ago, I, I don't know <laughs> of one. <laughs> I would just be, you know, basing it on their pretty websites because <laughs> I don't have any experience with, with those companies. So, you know, if you could find some somebody who did an unbiased review of them, that would be the best. Or someone who's tried them, you know, some reviews. That would probably be the way I would go if I were looking for a company. And one of those is right here from Melanie. So, yes. I know that you can.
0: I did an allergy. I was happy. That was a hair test, actually. Okay. Not, Not a spit test. Not a saliva. But there are spit ones as well. and so many more think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, None of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. All right, so her second question, she says, several people have mentioned they fast Monday through Friday but not on the weekends. Will that ruin the progress towards becoming a fat burner or just hinder it a bit? Will Monday be like starting over? I just wrote, you're all good. (laughs) I don't see any problem with it if it's working for you. I mean, I guess you can go completely crazy on the weekend. It really depends. It's a very individual. It really depends where you are and how crazy you're going and where you want to be. And it's. I, I don't think we can make a blanket statement that it's automatically going to ruin your progress. It's really just a matter of if it works for you. What What are your thoughts, Jen?
2: Well, you know, there are fasting protocols, 4-3 and 5-2, where you, um, like for 5-2, you have two fast days a week and five, quote, eat normal days. That actually worked for me very well for maintenance in the summer of um, 2015. I did 5-2 because I hadn't gotten really sold yet on the daily eating window. I guess it might be because I was not clean fasting. So fasting was a little more of a struggle back then. But um Five two worked very well for me for maintenance, and to lose weight, I could lose weight on four three, which was three fasting days a week and then the the four quote regular eating days. So you're just gonna have to see how it goes for you. If you are able to um, make the progress you're looking for and you know quote, take weekends off then then you'll know. but if if you find, You know, every Monday you get on the scale and your weight is like back up and then by the time Friday rolls around, it's back down, but then Monday it's back up again, you know, then you'll know it's not working for you. So um, instead of thinking about taking like the whole weekend off, maybe just consider having a wider window on one of those days to, to go with your social events. And, you know, that may be more of a maintenance lifestyle than a a weight loss lifestyle. Like, I'm pretty sure that I could maintain taking the weekends off. I would not because I don't feel as well when I do. Um, One other part of the question that Paige asked was, would this ruin the progress towards becoming a fat burner? And I'm going to go back to my own experiences over the holidays um, when – I ate more than I was used to on Christmas Eve and then all day on Christmas Day. And then the next day, the day after Christmas, I did find I was more lethargic. I think I was having I'd replenished some of my glycogen stores. So I did not have that that feeling of ketosis and energy and fat burning that I normally have. So I now that I'm very in tune with my body, I do notice that it takes me a while to get back into the swing of things after um some luxurious time off <laughs> for the holidays or for a trip. So, or indulgent time, that might be a better way of putting it. So if you have those more indulgent weekends, you may drag through Monday. It, it, you'll notice that. And then, um, you know, I don't want to feel like that every Monday. So I don't think I would want to take all the weekends off. But you just have to figure it out so that it works best for you and that it feels like a lifestyle. Because it's its not a good lifestyle if you always feel like it's keeping you from doing what you want to do, right? Right. You got to make it work, work for you. Excellent point. All right. And then
0: her last question, she says, Melanie, one time you mentioned carrageenan. Is that how you say it?
2: I I would say it like that. I don't know. I've never (laughs) said it.
0: (laughs) Could you please tell us what is the deal with carrageenan? I often see it listed as an ingredient. I hear it isn't good, but I'm not sure why. Everyone mentions our foods are full of this and full of that without stating the specifics. Thank you for pointing out carrageenan. Could you and Jen please pick a few of the top worst offending unnatural ingredients out there and talk about them? What are your top recommended additives to avoid? So Jen, do you want me to explain what carrageenan is? Sure. Go ahead. So it is a polysaccharide extracted from red seaweed. And so – and it's used for gelling, thickening, stabilizing. And so you might be thinking, oh, seaweed, natural. Healthy, right? Healthy. Yeah.
2: I mean <laughs> – And you find it in a lot of dairy products. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Like, um, like you know, sour cream and, and things like that. like ice that. creams and things right. like that.
0: But it's not the best thing ever. It actually – it's it can be pretty destructive for the digestive system and can trigger an immune response. And this, I found this fascinating – so tons of studies where they're testing drugs, they use carrageenan to cause inflammation. Oh, wow. To then test the drug to see if it is an anti-inflammatory.
2: Wow. You know, that, that makes me wonder if a lot of people who think they have trouble with dairy actually have trouble with this ingredient. It's, it's very possible. Yeah. Or with the
0: other additives and things right. like that found like quite a few studies. It's a known activator of inflammation in mammals. It has been shown to in mice to produce glucose intolerance, insulin resistance, impaired insulin signaling, and other animal models have shown um, inflammation of the colon. So basically, it's just not not good. And the fact that they're using it to cause inflammation is just Uh. (laughs) is not
2: good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What are some of your favorite non-favorite additives, Jen? Well, you know, when my boys were little, one of my sons had, um, had chemical sensitivities. And so he was very, very sensitive to anything artificial, artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, MSG, things like that. So I had to become very good at, um, reading labels at that point. He couldn't have any of that, or it, it would actually cause him to have a behavioral reaction, you know, and as a teacher, I had seen kids with obviously behavioral reactions, you know, my whole teaching career, but I didn't really understand the connection between what we eat and behavior. Like this was a whole new world to me. And uh, um, his preschool teacher actually said, you know, some days this this boy is different. This is my son. I don't want to say his name because I don't want to embarrass him if he ever hears it. But one of my boys. And um, she said, could it be what he's eating on those days? And so I started to research and I found that there is indeed um, a link in, in many kids with some of these Artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, MSG, and then, you know, what goes on in their brains. Um, Linus Pauling wrote about it. He's the guy who got the Nobel Prize for his work, I guess, with vitamin C. He talked about, um, they were calling it, quote, like brain allergies, I think. So it it acts on the brain in a way that, like... um, I mean, we know chemicals act on the brain. You know, you drink alcohol, it affects your brain. You take drugs, it affects your brain. So food can do that too. So I've always been, ever since I learned this, I've been a little skeptical of any kind of artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, things like that. And so I try really hard to buy things. When I'm reading the labels, I pick the one with the fewest ingredients. I mean, there's not like one thing that if I see it, I'll be like, no, I'm not going to have that. But I try to choose things that have... You know, I would pick a sour cream that did not have, you know, the carrageenan in it versus one that did. It's pretty easy. Just read the side-by-side labels. So I'm not listing anything specific, just in general. Go to the most real food that you can. Um, And can I tell a really quick story about somebody in our Facebook group? Yes. You know, we're all baking this homemade bread now. (laughs) And it's so much fun to watch everybody get excited about baking bread because it only has yeast, water, salt. And then whatever kind of flour you want to use. I'm using an organic flour. Um, but the one of the husbands of one of the group members, I mean, we have a lot of husband and wife people who are are fasting together, but one of the husbands posted today about how he is like literally going to town on bread, but he does not have the reaction to this homemade bread that he had to store-bought bread. Like he had to eliminate bread. He's not been able to eat it. But his wife's homemade bread is not causing him to have any of the problems So it's apparently something that they're adding to the commercial bread that's giving them the problem.
0: It's very, very telling.
2: Yeah. A
0: recent hypothesis is that for depression could be seen as inflammation of the brain and a mechanism of it for some people may be reactions to certain foods which causes inflammation in the
2: brain. Well, you know, your body releases all these different chemicals and that makes your brain you know, respond. So food can certainly do that. Even like chemical smells can do that. Like he had a lot of trouble with any any big strong odor that was super duper, you know, artificial. Like don't spray Lysol around them. That was a huge problem. You know, they're toxins. It just made him, he just acted nuts. And you could just see it. It was like a light switch was turned on.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy. And so I know, Paige, you wanted, like, specific things. So I'll tell you – I will tell you some specific things and specific problems. So actually, quick fun fact, there's actually more than 3,000 food additives in the U.S. And many of them are actually banned in other countries.
2: Yep. That's telling, right? I mean, that –
0: Pretty telling. Yeah. So for example, BPA and uh, propylene glycol, which we actually talked about earlier with the cigarettes – those can be hormone disruptors. BHA and artificial colors yep. are also hormone disruptors and can be carcinogens. Bromine and BHT can encourage hypothyroidism and organ damage. Um, also, pay attention for like partially hydrogenated vegetable oils and things like that, as well as trans fats. All of those oils and fats are just really, really bad. Um, for the body because they're serving they're they're fats. So the body's interpreting it as a, like a, like a food and something to build from, but they are not in the, the natural form, which supports our body. And so then it creates like cellular found creates cellular foundations of inflammation and it's just not, it's not good. So, yeah, I mean, if I had to, like, pick top ones, I mean, all of them. <laughs> um, f- oh, food dyes have been linked to a lot of things as well. Rather than picking, oh, what's the worst one, I would just say if,
2: if you can, avoid all of it. I yeah. mean. Flavors, colors, and preservatives. <laughs> I think that's what all that was. Yeah, all those. And they're tricky because, like, I learned, for, for example, you know, we find vanilla right? Vanilla is a flavor that we're looking for. Well, they've made an artificial form of it and it's vanillin. It looks like vanilla, but they add an N to the end of it and it's the fake one. So you just look at it and you're like, oh, look at there. That's just fancy vanilla. No, it's not. It, it, it's almost whenever I'm looking for ingredients
0: or like food, like vanilla vanilla extract, for example, or anything really, I always turn it over with bated breath and (laughs) I feel like 80% of the time it has additives that are just
2: no good. Just get it as close to the actual food as you possibly can. And again, I don't want anybody to be like paralyzed with fear and afraid to eat because you're going to sometimes have these things in foods that you're eating. And the key is when you have a choice, choose one without it.
0: Definitely. Especially when you're shopping because you have the power there. Oh yeah. Then she also said, this isn't a question, but a tip for Melanie. Keep your Redmond salt near the pineapple. If you salt your pineapple right before you eat it, you'll prevent the mouth sores. Thank you for the podcast. That's a great little tip. I'll have to try that page. Um, great tip. I-, I stopped eating pineapple for a little bit and now I've started again and Yep, the mouth sores are back. So, (laughs) might have to put some salt on there. I love my Redmond salt anyway. So, report back. Let us know if that worked.
2: I will. All right. Well, let's go on to Catherine's question. And her subject is resistant starch. And this is one I love. Catherine says, Kudos to two fabulous ladies and their equally fabulous podcast. Can you take maybe five to ten minutes to just do a rundown of the studies about resistant starch, particularly given the latest cook, cool, reheat thing? I've been so happy to add carbs back to my diet, and this sounds like an intriguing way to make them even better for me. But I'd like to understand to the extent possible what the research really shows and what the underlying mechanism is understood to be. Thanks, and keep those podcasts coming. Then we also have a a combo question. This is from Rosie, and her subject was also resistant starch. And um, Rosie, we answered another question from, but this is the, the second part of her question, and it says, can you please discuss the benefits of incorporating resistant starch into our diets, how to do it, and share any experiences you personally have with resistant starch? All right, Melanie, you want to get started
0: with that one? Sure. So thank you so much, Catherine and Rosie. Hi again, Rosie. We answered her question about, what was her question about last? Oh, Rosie was the one who asked about the five tips for breaking through a plateau. So this was her other question. Yeah. So resistant starch, it is basically a type of starch that isn't broken down and absorbed in our small intestine. So It moves to the large intestine and there it serves as a substrate, a fuel substrate for our intestinal bacteria in our large intestine. And um, so they can munch on it and create short chain fatty acids, which can fuel the colon, support intestinal health. So it's basically starch that we, our intestinal cells can't absorb, but the bacteria can if it makes its way down far enough. So there's actually four types of resistant starch. First type um, found in whole foods, so that's in like whole grains and legumes, and it's literally physically entrapped in like a compound that we can't digest, so we just can't digest it. There's the second type is ungelatinized starch, and so that's found in um, raw potatoes and high amylose corn starch. So for this type of resistant starch, the more raw the food is, the higher this form of starch because when we cook it, we actually make it digestible. So like raw potatoes, this is not the cooked and reheating, but just straight up like raw potatoes, they're going to have this type too. So type three is the type that people talk about a lot on the interwebs. It's that the cooked and cooled thing. So that actually happens when starches undergo a a process called retrogradation. And so basically you, you cook the food and then you cool it. And then in its cooled state, it has resistant starch. And this actually includes potatoes as well. Rice is another one that will do this. So yeah, most most people do the uh, the potatoes or the rice. They don't actually label resistant starch on like in foods, but if you ever see something called high maize products, that's like the commercialized label for resistant starch, which is interesting. Can
2: I can I share something about the potato real quick? This will uh, help listeners understand. Um. You know, think about a baked potato when you've you've just baked a potato and it's really, really fluffy, right? It's hot. It's fluffy. You're putting your butter on there. Now I would like to eat a baked potato. That sounds delicious. But imagine now that you let your potato sit until it gets cool. You will never get that fluffy texture back again, no matter what you do to it. It is unfluffed. And that is what we mean by resistant starch. It actually changes the structure of the potato from that fluffy, fluffy starchy potato into this unfluffy resistant starch so if you just picture that cooled off baked potato that's never going to be fluffy again you're going to have to turn it into twice baked potatoes which are also delicious <laughs> that'll help you understand how the, the starch the starch is actually changed
0: so two things about that okay so basically for the potato so it has three stages it has stage one when it's raw right. and that's going to be this, the second type of resistant starch that we can't access. Then we, then we cook it and everything's like accessible. So say goodbye to resistant starch. <laughs> and then if it cools again, we have a new form right. of resistant starch. It's not the same as the way it was originally, but it's
2: – When it was raw.
0: Yeah, it changes. It actually changes the structure. Yeah, but it's still a resistant starch. And then I'm so glad you said that, Jen, because that made me – I meant to mention this in the beginning – I just – when you said that, I was like, where did I just hear that? I just – because I just read your book, Feast Without Fear. Oh, yay. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry it took me so long. It's been like so well, you've crazy. been a little busy. But, I get it. Um, But yeah, and you talked about that in the book, and I thought that was a great analogy. And for listeners, everybody should get that book. It was wonderful. Yay. I'm glad that you liked it. What I really love the best, I think, is how you go into – like with the studies – you bring up the study and then you you really break it down and you really go through it. And I think that's something that's missing in a lot of books that I read today because it's really rare that that the, the author literally escorts you through the studies. They're kind of just like, this study said this, this study said
2: that. And then you go and you look at the study and it doesn't say that at all. That's what I found in I so know. many books. I mean, <gasps> I that literally will I make know. you angry listeners do this read a diet book and look at a study that someone has like quoted you go look at that study and see if it really says what they said it said and you're going to be shocked you're going to say that is not what this study says at all so i was like it's it really is crazy people take a lot of liberties in their books with what what the studies say it's
0: like i because i know when i was writing my the longest blog post i've ever written which was a a critique and an anal- and an analysis of what the health the documentary the documentary and um i had to like read i would like they would reference a study and i would pull up the study and would read it and then i would just stare at the screen and be like am i reading this right. wrong like because this is not what right this is not what they said cuz like yeah <laughs> um
2: it's shocking, People really. Just... And I guess they assume you're not going to look <laughs> or that you'll just take their word for it or maybe that you don't have access to it. But, you know, in this yeah. in this era, and of course I'm married to a, um, a college professor who has access to literally every study that you can get because his university has a medical school. So, you know, not everybody can actually find the original studies, but I, I, have, a, I have a supplier.
0: <laughs> and even the studies themselves – depending on right. who they're funded by and what they're trying to prove they will definitely cherry pick yeah. and draw the the conclusion will be like completely not related to what they found exactly it'll be like one little tiny
2: piece that may or may not be mm-hmm. indicative of even what they found and then the headlines of all the news reporters saying look what this study found and then that's not what it found at all you know yeah it's it's fascinating when you start getting into the and I talk I have a whole chapter on this too about scientific studies and can we trust them and yeah <sighs> that was something else I really good. liked and by the way we we just had our science fair <laughs> at my school oh, nice. you know I talked about that in Feast Without Fear about the kids and their science experiments so I looked around with fresh eyes this year and the airplane experiments are always there so oh yeah. yes,
0: I liked that <laughs> So, listeners, definitely check that out. I literally felt like I could have written most of it. There, I only had one tiny, tiny little critique.
2: Uh oh, what was that?
0: Just that there were not, I, it, it, and I, like in general, everything was amazing. And I think you did an amazing job. And I agree with like pretty much everything you said. But just that there was a an
2: absence of any studies showing problems with grains Well I I'm not showing problems with anything. I think grains are great. I think grains are part of a healthy diet. So why would I put studies in there showing that they weren't because you could find studies showing anything is a problem if you look. Cuz they take they take a tiny component of it and maybe that's causing a problem, but maybe that's not the actual problem in your body that that we need to be worrying about. So yeah, see, I'm not afraid of grains. I feast on grains without fear <laughs> every single day. So, yeah, I guess for me, I guess
0: because because they've have they've have recent studies showing that like gliadin found in grains create intestinal permeability. And this is a very recent study.
2: Yeah, you're not you are not gonna get me off a of team grain. Sorry. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm just gonna say where I'm coming from. Yeah, like
0: because there was a recent study showing that. Gluten, for example found in grains causes intestinal permeability in every single type of person not even just those with celiac disease even if it's like quote silent like people don't experience the effects and I talk about this a lot in my book <laughs> in addition to that grains have opioid type compounds which can potentially mask the negative effects that you may might be feeling i guess just because i come from a thesis where i think that grains are a major instigator of degenerative of degenerative disease i completely understand though that grains work for a lot of people i would just have put like one sentence saying yeah but i don't think i don't
2: i don't think that there's any one food that That is like that. I mean, I think there are foods that don't work for people, but I don't think there's any one food like you feel about grains that.
0: Well, I guess like with protein, you said that like, you know, some people think too much is bad. Some people think, you know, less is better. So I would have done I would have just had like.
2: Well, I was lumping it in with the carbs. I talked about carbs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it fits yeah. in with that. Like, No, people I'm, think, not, I'm not trying to yeah. critique you. I'm just saying, I'm <laughs> I'm saying just out, saying, out of the whole. There was a no chance I was going to say don't eat grains.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't want you to say okay. don't eat grains. I was just saying out of all, in the whole book, I would have put one sentence. That's all. That's okay. all I'm saying. <laughs> kind of like with like alcohol, you would say that. Um, with the protein, you'd say that. With the carbs, I would have just said that with the grains too.
2: That's all. And you said it with a dairy. All right. Well, thank you for the feedback, and I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I
0: did. I, and listeners, yeah, definitely get it. It's an amazing book, um, great for cultivating a mindset of, yeah, of not having fear around food, and just, it was wonderful.
2: And the whole, so. the whole point being that our bodies are so different, and you've got to figure out what works for your body, and that you actually have the ability to know that from the way that you feel. And that's, I think, we we take so many recommendations from people who don't live in our bodies and we we think that that's how we have to be. And when really we know our bodies are smart, we can we know what foods make us feel bad, especially with the intermittent fasting. I think that gives us, we've talked about this before, you're, you're better able to tune in to what works and what doesn't. Yes. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah.
0: So it was wonderful. Oh, and I will say, <laughs> so I originally wrote like a long – review of the book on amazon and i said that i was the like the co-host of the podcast and i said that but this is my like honest review, and i basically said everything i just said to you right now and um amazon was like no you can't post this <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> i was like i was like where did the review go i was, ta- oh, no. I was talking to jen because i was like they haven't posted my review and then like four days later they were like sorry this is not
2: not approved. You have to,
0: you have to change it. Oh. So I took out all mentions of me, but my name is still there. So, All right. Well,
2: thank but. you. I appreciate it. Of course. <laughs> Did you have anything else that you wanted to add about the resistant starches? I have a little bit I'd like to say. Oh, yeah. So let me just uh, to wrap that up.
0: So then there's a fourth type, and that's a um, completely like chemically generated resistant starch. That's often found in processed foods and that's typically the form where they I talked about like when it's called high maize things um that's often the the fourth version as far as the studies go for people with them without <laughs> too much gut dysbiosis there are debates about resistant starch but in general the studies sh- tend to show improved gut health for most people um so just I'll just do a rundown of some of the things I found. Like it can increase the, um, the good bacteria in our, in our large intestine. It can um, stimulate blood flow. It can help us absorb other nutrients. It can potentially inhibit um, like other pathogenic bacteria, um, make you feel full, help with insulin sensitivity, digestion, just basically a lot of good stuff. That said, of course, I'll give my caveat that I always give that if you do struggle with digestion problems, resistant starch might not be the best for you. It's really an individual thing, and you have to see if it works for you. So start slow, start low is what I would recommend, and then you can add more and more if you respond favorably to it. Um, I just know for me, I have not done well with it in the past, but some people do great with it, and that can also change because you're... Gut microbiome is always changing. So it's um, definitely something to experiment with. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah,
2: I think you hit – I'm trying to figure out what, what you haven't said that I had written down. Um, we talked about how – or you said that it's broken down in your bacteria or in your, um, in your intestines to short-chain fatty acids. And one thing that I know about that is that these short-chain fatty acids are also linked to satiety hormones. So, you know, people who – do well with the resistant starch find that the resistant starch helps them to be satisfied with their foods. And I think that's my biggest, um, plus with, with including these foods in my diet. Um, when I was trying to do keto and trying to do low carb, I never felt satiety, but when I added back carbs, including resistant starch, you know, I eat a lot of beans, things like that. It just makes me feel full and satisfied. And so those short chain fatty acids are linked to the the release of those hormones. So that's, um, a good thing. Also, um, one thing I wanted to mention that is great with resistant starch. You know, if you're, if you're trying to control your, um, blood glucose or, or, you know, if you have type two diabetes or whatever, you, you monitor your blood glucose spikes. You know, there's even something happening now. It's a trend called eat to the meter. Have we talked about this, Melanie? Eating to the meter? Okay. People are, um, and, and this, this is based on the research that everyone has a different glycemic response. And we've talked about this um, on the podcast, I know. And it's even – and that's also in Feast Without Fear. You know, maybe rice makes you have more of a glycemic response than it makes me. So people are actually oh, – yeah. yeah. And it's in my
0: book, too. We talked about
2: – Okay. We did both. We both
0: did talk at length about that same Okay.
2: Okay. So basically, resistant starch – does not um, break down and get in. And so it doesn't, it's not released into our blood sugar like it would um, because it's not released in the same way it goes down to our intestines where it's broken down. So it's not going to cause us to have as much of an insulin response. Um, So your, your cooked and cooled potato is going to have a different insulin response to your fluffy hot from the oven baked potato. So that's just something to keep in mind. So people who are doing the, eat to the meter strategy, they'll eat something and then see how their, their um, blood glucose responds with the whole goal being to keep it low. And that's how you can know what foods are working well for you and what foods are not. Um, You know, I'm not about to start doing that personally, but (laughs) for people who are already monitoring their blood glucose for, um, because they're diabetic, this is just a great, a great strategy. And, you know, see if you notice a difference with the different foods. Do you measure your blood glucose? I don't. No, I don't. Now, I have a, a friend. Um, he's a, a Facebook friend. He's actually a, a, maybe an emergency room doctor, maybe in Canada, I think. And he does a lot of self-experimentation. And he was actually using one of those um, new blood glucose monitors that gives you like it's a continual. Have you seen those, Melanie? I want one so bad. I know. Okay, I do want that. You have to get them implanted though, right? No, it's a sensor. It's not implanted. Oh. You you stick the sensor on your skin and it continually sends the feedback. Can you buy it or do you have to have a doctor? I think you have to have a prescription, but he's been using it in Canada. And um, I know it's available here now, but, you know, I have no interest in pricking my finger and taking my blood sample all day long. But a continuous blood glucose monitor would just be very interesting. You know, do you need to do that? No, but I, I love data and it would be fascinating to see you know, how my blood glucose went up and down depending on on what I was eating. It's just fascinating. I bet one day I'll get one of those, but <laughs> they've, they've just been released. I think the price is high, and I'm not even sure if you can get them without a prescription. I was
0: actually going to test mine right now. I test mine a lot. Um, that's how I know that I get really hypoglycemic. Um. Well, I know because the
2: way I feel. Right. Then, yeah. That, that's the thing with me. I know, like for example, if I had a cookie to open my window, I know that my blood sugar crashes because I can feel it. So when you're in tune with your body and you're used to being in the fasted state, you know what your body's doing. But it, it would still be interesting to see what would happen after certain foods.
0: I mean, it could be based on what I eat and I so rarely eat straight up. Like food glucose, like I typically eat um, protein, fat, and then a lot of fruit. Which the uh, the fructose glucose ratio of fruit tends to go tends to fill liver glycogen and not really spike insulin. So whenever I test after meals, I'm always like lower than before I started eating, <laughs> which is a problem I'm trying to address because it, it doesn't keep me full as long, right? But then I don't feel good if I eat like more car beef stuff, so I don't know it's ugh, it's a puzzle. I'm really on the fence right now because I want to buy either the ketone breath meter or there's a new there's a new blood ketone meter called keto mojo or something, and it tests your your ketones, your blood glucose and your h b one c I think, but I'm just on the fence about whether or not. The breath versus the blood, which is more accurate?
2: Oh, the breath is not more accurate. You want the blood.
0: Oh, I mean, I guess I know that. But I guess I, – l- l- let me rephrase. I'm on the fence about whether or not the breath is accurate enough.
2: Right. Nah. I would not <laughs> even waste my time with that um, just because, you know, when you have been in ketosis for a long time and your body is used to it, your body doesn't waste – as many of the ketones by you know, sending them out in your breath, so you actually, the longer you are are fat adapted and in ketosis and all of that, the um, the less you may be excreting. So the the blood level is really going to be your best bet. So I think so. I'll get the I'll probably get the blood one. So yeah. like
0: my blood sugar right now, <laughs> in the moment, is like eighty four. That that's good, right? I mean, that's what well, I don't I know. It sounds like it, yeah. I know come nighttime, right before I eat, it's always, without fail, 79. Always. Yeah. And then I eat, and then it's, like, 70. And I'm like, uh, that's a problem.
2: Probably. I don't know. (sighs) Well, your body is releasing insulin in response to the food that you ate. (laughs) And it brings down your blood glucose. Yeah, like but it's I think to. my
0: clearly my pancreas like kind of overreacts because I don't think I should be lower blood sugar after eating than.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not a um an expert on what your blood sugar should do because I don't measure it. So, I'm obsessed with measuring things.
0: I'm gonna get that meter.
1: Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time restricted eating, lower carb diets, or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting, and I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive the test strips are extremely expensive they are wasteful you no longer have to buy test strips anymore you can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback it's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times now, i always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day. And you will be able to see differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher. And it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device, and I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the Tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the Tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address, and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt-in, and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation Tone device is available to to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it, so be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right, now back to our show. Okay, sorry, back to the question.
0: So yeah, so resistant starch, definitely something to play around with, um, see how it affects you, and something else, it really is crazy how fast the, the gut microbiome can change in relationship to things. Resistant starch can probably do this as well, which is why I bring that up. Um, but for example, you know VSL number three, Jen? No. It's like the probiotic. Um, It's prescription. Part Versions of it are prescription. Other versions aren't. But it's like the probiotic that all the tests study. And it has most most probiotics that you buy in the store have around, um, you know, Maybe like a billion, two billion, three billion bacteria. Uh-huh. This one, it starts at the pills have like a 100 billion. Wow. The sachet has 450 billion. And then the double strength prescription one, which I got a prescription for, has doubled out. So I guess um like 900 billion bacteria. I started taking it. I got a prescription for it. And my... not to get TMI, but my bowel activity completely changed, like completely overnight. I actually stopped because it kind of freaked me out.
2: (laughs) Something was happening down there.
0: Yeah. um, I think I'm happier with less bacteria in my system.
2: Okay. Um, Maybe that means you actually need more though. Maybe you need more. Maybe that's a big part of your healing journey, journey is having more.
0: That's a whole debate, and it's something I literally research every – And when I say I research it every night – Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) I research it every night. Every night. It's an obsession, and it's a problem. And that's why I love Dr. Ruscio because he talks about um, both versions. And his book is coming out February 15th, and I can't wait. And he said he's going to talk about this a lot in the book. So excited. Well, good. What's his book called? It's called Healthy Gut, Healthy You. Okay. I am so excited gut help is key it really is i don't think we'll ever have a podcast where it doesn't come up at some
2: no <laughs> and you know i think you, you mentioned this with Catherine's question about if she wants to know about adding back in the resistant starch um like she she's adding the carbs back in and my only recommendation i think melanie touched on this it was a while ago in our conversation but add things back in slowly Melanie mentioned that, but especially when you're adding back in carbs, if you've been avoiding them, expect to see weight, get quote, gain unquote on the scale. And that is what freaks people out because when you eat carbs, it comes along with water retention. So people are like, oh my gosh, I can't eat carbs and my weight just balloons. Well, it's not going to like balloon forever. It just has that pop of water weight and then, you know, you can go from there. So just be cautious and be aware that that's going to happen. Um, that's why when people begin a low carb diet, they usually like the first, I think the rule of thumb is like four pounds, like your first four pounds are like water weight that you lose. You didn't just lose, you know, four pounds of fat. But then the, also if you go off of it, your first four pounds that you gain back are also not fat.
0: You know, what's interesting though, what to that point. So I've been listening to this week and next week is the. The keto, the first keto FX, so it's like paleo FX, but it's keto specific, and it's a lot. It's a lot of in, lo- online interviews um, with people about keto. I've been loving it because it's giving all different perspectives. And as you know, I keep trying to do keto and keep failing. <laughs> Still on that journey. One of the speakers, and I don't know if I agree with this, but I would never heard this concept before. She said that sometimes when people are keto and then they are like super low carb, and then they add back in carbs, that they can lose water weight because the body has to process the water. yeah, yeah, and she said that that could create the whoosh effect because the body has to, well, that's true. the body has to process the carbs, so it pulls the water from the cells. Which I never heard. It was that was the complete opposite
2: of what I've always... The theory of the whole Whoosh effect is that your, your body is holding the water in your fat cells as like a placeholder as you're losing fat. So um, what would happen is then your body would pull that water out really fast to use to process the carbs and then release it. So... Yeah, we actually hear that a lot in the Facebook groups with people who, like, all have they'll, they're on a plateau and they're feeling super squishy, which is what, of course, happens right before the whoosh effect. Their fat cells feel feel actually squishy to the touch, like their belly might be really squishy feeling. And they'll have, like, like a big blowout meal or, like, take a day off, and then they'll find that that... Um, stimulates the whoosh effect. So yeah, that actually is something that anecdotally we hear all the time. So like if someone's on a plateau, frequently people will suggest, you know, take a day off of uh, intermittent fasting and see if that helps. But so if you're super low carb, and then you
0: add back in the carbs, you could have one, you could potentially have one of two completely different
2: responses. But it's all water is the whole point. You're not gaining or losing really fast. So you, the, if if you have a really quick change of weight in either direction, it is not fat. And people freak out. And they're like, oh my gosh, I ate all weekend and I gained seven pounds. No, you did not. <laughs> it's it's water. It's the food. It's all of it in there together. So our body does a lot with that water. Well, we do we, have, we don't really have time for anything else. I don't think we do. I think all of our other questions would take too long. We had some very interesting conversations, though. We did,
0: we did, and I will say, we're starting to get like really good. Que- I mean, we've been, we've always been getting really good questions, but we're starting to get. I feel like listeners have listened to a lot of our episodes, and they know what's been asked, and we're starting to get a lot of questions
2: lot of, that are sophisticated, like sophisticated questions. Yeah,
0: that, that's a yeah. good way of putting it. Yeah. Like they're they they're they're very specific. Like they're very they're things I haven't thought about right. addressing. Like, I would never even think about addressing. So um, lots of good stuff in the future. There's, like, so many. I just want to – we could do, like, a five-hour podcast. <laughs> no, let's not. Let's not. Okay. People might <laughs> – would like
2: that there, right? They probably would.
0: All righty. So a few things before we go. You can go to IofPodcast.com slash episode 44, and that's where we'll put all the show notes for today's episodes. So that's where we're going to put a lot of all the references for all the studies that we discussed and any other relevant notes. You can also go to IofPodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put all the stuff we like. So, for example, the stand-up desk, um, I'll add Dr. Ruscio's book. It's not even out yet, but I'm sure I'm going to like it. Um all of the things. And that page has everything that we've ever talked about on the podcast of things we like. So it's a treasure trove. And also if you're in iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and that's where you will get the podcast downloaded automatically. Also, when you're in iTunes, if you'd like to write just the briefest of reviews, we would appreciate that so much. It helps. We can't even, it really just really helps. You can also write reviews of our book. That really helps, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like begging for reviews, but my publisher's like, you need to get more reviews for your book. So if anybody wants to help out there, I that would be awesome. And um, yeah, any final thoughts from you today, Jen?
2: No, I think we got into some very interesting stuff today. As usual, we always do. I know. I really enjoy
0: our conversations. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I will talk to you next week. I hope you, um, hope your voice.
2: Yeah, me too. Up. <sighs> Since I have to go back to work with the kids, it usually does. That doesn't help. So. <laughs> oh yeah, no kidding.
0: No kidding. All right. Well, feel better. Thank you. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. Oh, and listeners get really excited about next week because it's coffee, 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 coffee. Yay! It's all the coffees. I probably shouldn't even say that because people are going to try to send in questions for it. You can if you want. <laughs> we might answer them. <laughs> we, we already have like 50 questions yeah. is why I say Coffee that. is
2: very, very near and dear to us. If
0: you have any really, really random questions about coffee, send them. Yeah. And we'll try to get to
2: them. Okay. That's a good, a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Well, I'll talk to you next week.
2: Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.
0: Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was
1: composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.